Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Cindy Banyer here for Dr. Cindy Speaks. I'm a mom and small business owner, and I'm fighting for our water, our health, and our community. And I am here today, July 31st at 414. It is a sunny day with the clouds rolling in for our afternoon showers. We have Hurricane Isaiah off the coast. Looks like it is going to roll up the east coast of florida and the united states this amount of damage as it crossed over oh and uh we're thinking of um as we're broadcasting here today otherwise it is still very much florida we are still very much in the uptick of the we have been seeing daily cases of around 10,000 for the past week. We have seen three days in a row of record number of deaths. Uh, Yesterday's record was 253 deaths. And for some reason, Governor DeSantis thinks this is acceptable. And a lot of people in Florida don't. We're also wrestling with the concept of how we open schools. The Lee County has decided to postpone the beginning of schools on August 31st, which apparently is the last day that schools can open according to the mandate to open from Governor DeSantis, which of course is just the shit rolling downhill from Donald Trump saying schools must open uh, to preserve the economy. So it's really put a lot of the people here in Southwest Florida as similar across all the state, but teachers, educators, staff have been worried about how they can actually make schools safe, how they can continue children's learning and, you know, also not contract the virus. We are in a situation where now my children, my older children who are in elementary school are looking at going back to school trying to decide if they should do in-person or at home learning, virtual learning, where there's a couple of options as well. And my doctor, the the children's doctor, actually Evie's doctor, hematology oncology at at Children's, uh, Gullisano Children's Hospital here in in Fort Myers, uh, called them up to see about her saying that she's probably out of the danger zone of being vulnerable um, coming up very soon, which is great to hear. However, as I was discussing further with them, they seem to be somewhat resigned to the concept that all children going back to school are going to just get the virus, but that it should be fine, that there, it's largely been mild, 
uh, and that they're well equipped to handle it, which frankly just sounds like a corporate line to me. And not really exactly what you want to hear. You don't want to hear from medical professionals that they're just saying, oh, well, we should have, you know, just the kids are going to get it, and, and it'll, but it should be fine. Um, you know, and I'm also a little bit worried about that, the sample of it, because because the the schools have been closed, right? Like, so we really haven't had children mixing and mingling amongst the virus as much as we have would have had earlier in this year or in the past or things like that. So um, we don't kind of have that piece of information. I, I really hope that they're right. I really do. I don't want anybody to get the virus. I don't want my children or anybody's children or the educators at all to get that. There's a lot of people who are very worried about it. And I think also in particular, the school staff are worried about themselves. Also, I keep thinking about the fact that we're still going to have basic public health protocols in place where there's typically a threshold uh, point where when there's a certain amount of people in a classroom or school that get contract any sort of communicable disease, they have to shut down. So we're kind of looking also at when they do have the schools open. It's going to be open, close, open, close kind of situation. Teachers coming in and out as well. Um, I don't know. It's very, very troubling situation and one that I'm not looking forward to having to deal with coming up. But as a parent of a school age child, you have to. We all have a bunch of horrible choices that we need to face to move forward in this pandemic. All right. Well, we are so excited here to have our special guest for today. This is Connie Bennett Martin. She is running for Fort Myers City Council Ward 4. Let's go ahead and get her in the studio here. Hello, Connie, can you hear us? Hello, Connie, can you hear us? Hi, Cindy, how are you? Oh, good, great. Glad to get you in here today. How, how have you been doing today? Doing wonderful, thank you. Oh, that's good. That's good. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the life of a candidate is, you know, very, very fast paced. And, you know, we also have a hurricane tropical storm uh, brewing off our coast. So us Floridians got to get ready, right? Absolutely. All that hunkering down that we have to do. <laughs> <laughs> hunkering down. And I think uh, in an interview that I had done earlier this week, climate change too, I said, you know, I don't really know that I should just be stocking up on, I have my, you know, my windows taken care of, or if I'm going to have to be evacuating, because it's going to be another monster hurt Dorian last year. Yeah, thankfully, the, this one is supposed to be something light, just a lot of wind, right. and uh, we should be good to go. Yeah. Good, but always it's a, it's a good idea to take care. I know that even in the in Puerto Rico, they sustain some pretty good damage, wind damage, and flooding. That's always a risk with hurricanes as well. So, take care, everybody around the state of Florida. And uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the conversation here. So, um, coming for Fort Myers. Actually, my ward. So we are neighbors. We live in the same um, area and part of the city. And, um, you know, we have known each other through our various work with, you know, organizations and community groups and 
Um, you know, even through the Girl Scouts, of which my daughter is a member and it's a part of Connie's work. But I would like uh, to t give Connie this opportunity to tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Connie, tell us who you are and, and what's going on with you. Oh, goodness. So mentioning Girl Scouts tells you a lot about me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have truly, truly been one of those people that, you know, my life's mission is to make the world a better place. Um, I've lived here in Southwest Florida, well, in Fort Myers my whole life. Um, uh, from the time that I was two years old, my father came down here for a job at Galloway Ford. And um, mm -hmm. only reason I know it was my, two, my second birthday was because I ate the candles and threw up on <laughs> Sam Sr.'s lap. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> but um, I've been here ever since. Yeah, I always make an impression. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been here my whole yeah. life. I've seen the changes and stuff that we have. I have three beautiful sons that um, are all grown now. And so I have a very diverse look at the city because I live um, near McGregor Boulevard, which is, you know, the um, beautiful palm lined boulevard. And then um, my sons actually own a house that's on Central Avenue, which is um, mm -hmm. not palm lined. It is, um, you know, across 41 and on an area that um, has a little less services. And uh, so I mm -hmm. get a real interesting and diverse look at our city as a whole. And um, I've just been involved with everything under the sun. I've been involved with charities my whole life. I've been the president of a polo club. Mm -hmm. um, which is professionals organized for leadership and opportunities. So it was a charity <laughs> arm that liked to help local charities and um, like not horses. You know, that's what you're saying. Not horses. No, no. We, I mean, we'd help them if they need help, but no, we, we were that, um, sea level employees usually that was willing to get in there and get dirty mm -hmm. and sweaty and make these events all around Southwest Florida happen. So um, that's okay. the type of stuff that I've been involved with, though, my whole life. And uh, it's just time that I, that I give back and make sure that everyone has their voices heard. Oh, good. Well, that's great. And I think that's where you and I have a lot of synergy is that desire to really listen to people and raise up the voice of people who have probably been marginalized in the process and recognizing the differences in our city Right. Because um, I, too, I, you know, I'm straddling the 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 areas. And, and for those of you that are not, I mean, what we're really kind of pushing on here is we have the uh, part of the city close to McGregor Boulevard that is um, wealthier, good, you know, high pr housing prices, um, largely white, um, well serviced areas. Um, and then really across the street, uh, which is the main thoroughfare of US 41, which runs all the way through Fort Myers, we have the beginning of Midtown and then the Dunbar community. And Dunbar is the historically segregated our community. So there's lots of areas that are neglected, lesser funds, poorer sidewalks, higher population density, high levels of poverty, um, and really within a very short walking distance between the two uh, areas. Um, and it kind of is, you know, again, the historical kind of flashpoint and juxtaposition of the, the life of people in this city. And um, I think that for people like Connie and I, we, we're looking into this, we're listening to people, and we're really trying to make uh, our city better and, and grow together, I think. So Connie, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
uh, your run for city council, right? And this is not your first run, but tell us a little bit about what you're driving for um, and, and what you hope to accomplish. Um, no, it's not my first run. It is, it is my second. And uh, I was 202 votes short from making it um, from the primary into the general. So I cannot stress with someone that was only 202 votes short how important every vote is, especially in the yeah. um, primary. But um, my big driving force has been that I have watched just a total separation between city and citizen. And I have watched our city, I've been going to our city council meetings for 14, 15 years now. And I started going because there was a couple things happening in my neighborhood that I didn't understand. And even though the meetings are on Mondays at 4.30, I was able to get out of work and go to those meetings. And um, I started watching money being handed out to developers while playgrounds were falling into disrepair. And I'm going, so why is it we're enticing people to move here, but we're not taking care of the people that live here. And yeah. so, you know, and I'm watching with uh, um, redevelopment agencies and, and they're giving away millions like it's no big deal. And, right. you know, and yet we still have broken streetlights and we still have, you know, like you had mentioned, some of the area of McGregor, beautiful, gorgeous streetlights that their neighborhoods are all lit up at night and then cross 41 and go into East Fort Myers and it's dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's, there are street lights and some don't work and nobody seems to do anything about it. There's a lot of talk, um, but no one takes action. And I was watching that happen at our city council meetings and was just absolutely sickened by the lack of representation of the normal everyday families and the people that are working nine to five and can't get there. Or, mm -hmm. you know, not even nine to five, nine to six thirty. And we right. can't get there for these city council meetings and these huge decisions are being made without paying any attention to what we want. And we have a real problem with having a baseline of infrastructure in our city. Um, mm -hmm. Our county commissioner years and years ago, Don Stilwell, um, really pushed to establish a baseline of infrastructure through the county. And the city never seemed to catch on to that. And hmm. it's really sad that we can't have equal services across our entire city. We're not that big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. um, so things like that just really upset me. And then, you know, and it's little, it, it, it's little things that have turned into huge issues. Like, you mm -hmm. know, we had a real big problem with sludge. And for years, mm -hmm. um, there was a pit in Dunbar that the city had been dumping sludge into, had been dumping waste into, and it became a toxic dump site. Um, it was seeping mm -hmm. into the groundwater and there was, all this talk about it. Everyone knew about it. No one was doing anything about it until somebody decided mm -hmm. to sue. And mm -hmm. the fact that it takes a citizen to sue the city to get action is just heartbreaking to me because you know, just average person would have been like, well, you know what, maybe I'm just going to move from this area. I can't fight city hall. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it's sad that it has to take that to get the city to do the right thing. So yeah. I'm hoping with responsible yeah caring people that are hopefully going to be getting elected into this next cycle, um, that there's going to be a lot more heart and a lot more caring and a lot more citizen response in our city. Well, I love that. Yeah, I can certainly appreciate that. And, you know, yeah, as a resident of Fort Myers, I have long been dismayed about the lack of opportunities and yeah, how it is difficult to get into the city council 
meetings because of the time and things like that. But for me, it was even a bigger problem than that. It was just a general lack of desire and political will for actual public participation and input. And I actually sat down with Randy Henderson, uh, who's the mayor of Fort Myers, about, geez, it would have been 2012 or 2013, um, you know, and asked him, hey, and this is because this is what I do. I do civic engagement and community participatory processes and how to build good governance. And I was just coming off my doctoral research specifically aiming at mayors (laughs) of how do we do this. So I sat, sat down with him and I said, hey, you know, this is what I think we could do. We can develop these processes to get community input and and this is how it can inform policy. And his first question was, well, why would we want to do that? Then his second question was, well, how are we going to get them there? And then the third a point that he made was, well, too hard. And that was right. really been attitude of people in city council and in Fort Myers, you know, the administration as well, is that we've been done. We're, we're good where we're at. And we don't really need to listen to the people because we're good. Like everything is, and um, it's been it's been a really uh, challenging thing for me because from the research that I've done, it shows me that if we put that time and effort into involving people early on in government decisions, local government decisions, then things get better in the long run, and we reach our goals better. We don't waste money. We don't waste time because. What you do waste money and time on is when you actually do get to the lawsuit phase, right? When you get to the point mm-hmm. where people are being sued or things are so mismanaged or the community uprises against it, then you have to backtrack. But if you actually take the time to do it in the front end, uh, you end up with better outcomes. So, um, but there's, a, there's my little pitch on that. But so Connie, tell us a little bit more about, um, so, so there's the issues that you said. So we need real voice. Tell us some initiatives that you plan on focusing on when you are our city council member. Um, Well, there's a couple of things. One is I would like to see us reevaluate how our CRAs, our our redevelopment agencies, are structured and how the money is being spent within them. Because a redevelopment agency is supposed to be for a blighted area. We have one that is um, that has done an amazing job for our downtown Fort Myers. And if you come mm-hmm. into our downtown Fort Myers, it is anything but blighted. Um, it is it is fantastic. They have done an amazing, amazing job. It is time to sunset that CRA. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no reason to give at this point. There is no reason to give a developer incentives to build a high rise on a beautiful waterfront area when there's mm-hmm. you know there's other similarity you know similar buildings and structures right nearby we shouldn't be giving them incentives we should be capitalizing upon that i mean the city is a business Mm -hmm. we should not be giving bargain basement prices for our prime real estate and Mm -hmm. um you know i'd like to see our cra reevaluated i'd like to see that money go more into taking care of you know we have just not even a mile away we have you know half a mile away a few blocks away we have buildings that are crumbling and we have people that have owned those buildings for a long time and the city puts out these announcements of um, you know redevelopment grants and they put these mm-hmm. announcements out so quietly that the people who need them don't know anything about it 
Um, mm-hmm. I had found recently some that were announced and I put it up on, you know, on Facebook on next door. And I actually sent it in emails to a few of the businesses in the downtown corridor that um, I felt could benefit from it. And they were like, this is the first we've heard of it. And yet there's other businesses that are pet projects of the city who have gotten these grants one, two, and three times. And we're talking, Mm -hmm. you know, anything from $20,000 to $100,000. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I have a real problem with the city not being fair to all. And whether it's all people or all businesses. And um, so I want to make sure that we clear up some of those transparency issues that we have. And Uh, I'd also like to... um, uh, I was going to say, you cut out for a moment there. Up a few paces. You cut out for a moment there. Oh, I'm sorry. I would like really like to clear up some of those transparency issues that we have. Um, But one of the other things that's really important for me is we have put a lot of plans and studies, and we've spent an awful lot of money on repairing some of our water issues. I mean, we spend, I think it's around $100,000 every year to maintain a um, filter marsh Mm -hmm. that we spent $2 million to, you know, put to build and to put in uh, about 10 years ago. And we're spending all of that money and not getting to what the problem is. Mm -hmm. So we need this filter marsh in, um, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about in the Billy Creek, which is a polluted Mm -hmm. waterway. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, it's beyond polluted. Mm -hmm. It is to a level of being toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, And our city, the best that they've done is, you know, I'm glad they put in a filter marsh to help clean it up. I'm, you know, glad we're spending money to maintain it. However, they're not getting to the root of the problem and the reason why it keeps being a contamination. And, you know, we need to do, you know, the backtracing to find out where it is and then not just keep putting on Band-Aids, but we need to fix whatever the problem is. It needs to get fixed. And we've been battling this for well over a decade and they still can't figure out how to fix it. And I think if we got groups in there like the Calusa Water Keepers, um, we would probably be able to get that fixed real quick. Let's get government out of it and let's put... Um, people that actually know, (laughs) you know, our engineering department does not know um, that type of water management. We need to rely on the specialists. So there's a few things that we need to sink sink our hands more into. And there's a few more things that we need to really allow the experts to just do what they do. And, um, you know, I was at a city council meeting and I mean, and I just, I, I sat there and just shook my head repeatedly because they spent 20, probably about 20 minutes discussing and debating whether or not to put up a sign to warn kayakers <laughs> that the water was contaminated. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you know, well, what about the kids on the streets? And what mm-hmm. about the kids in the neighborhood that are playing in the water and fishing and bring, you know, all of this. Mm-hmm. So they ended up putting a sign for kayakers and mm-hmm. they put it on the underside, uh, the side of a bridge. So unless you're in the water approaching the bridge, you don't see it. Hmm. So it's kind of one of those to heck with the neighborhood, to heck with the people that live there. But, you know, if a kayaker comes across it, yay rah for them. And uh, it's that type of just um, thoughtless mismanagement that we're having problems with. And so there's things like that that, you know, we need that voice in there to um, just just common sense to straighten out a few things. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's actually something that I have um, been talking about campaign is water but also that that public health messaging component and i feel is often kind of overlooked in the political rhetoric i mean especially at my level at the congressional 
but it's something that we can help with. You know, we, there's a lot of people who broad stroke our water issues, but I think that the one that you just pushed on right there is how do we add message to the public on issues related to our water? So yes, just like you said, if we put a sign over here that says the water is contaminated and only the kayakers can see it, but not the kids who are playing in the the shore or the or the people who are fishing then then not really publicly mess the health of the water in a way that benefits everybody and that is what government is supposed to do it is supposed to be uh responsible for our shared assets like our waterways as well as our shared public people know about it and there's been a lot of criticism around how that functions with the blue green algae as well um, and it's just, it's been a, you know, it's a transparency issue for me as hoping that, you know, with somebody like you on city council, uh, who's advocating for this and somebody like me, who's in our Congress, who can help to provide additional funding for local projects like signage and messaging, as well as the research too, by the way, of my platform is ensuring that we have funding for the research water so that we can know more about the contaminants so we can hire experts to learn where uh, you know our, our creeks are being contaminated so we can study more our blue green algae and how it's coming ab about and test plans you know reduce the negative impacts of it as well and those are all things that I'm really hoping to accomplish in terms of water and our quality of life here related to it um, when I am serving this district as well. Our issue about water, just because I want to hear what, you're, what you have to say about it, because it's, uh, it was in our backyard, but it didn't get covered. Happened to have happened during the pandemic. And that was sewage leak in Fort Myers City and right over down off of Cortez uh, by the high school and our waterways back there uh, seemed more of uh, an infrastructure issue as well. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about that sewage leak and, and how you would help us to prevent such sewage leaks in the future. Well, um, that was over at Manuel's Branch, which, like you said, it dumps right out into the Caloosahatchee. That was 200,000 gallons of raw sewage. Mm. Um, what had happened was one of the lift stations had failed. Mm. And it's not a new failing of the lift station. It's one that has happened several times before. Mm -hmm. um, and they knew that it was failing. They knew that there were problems with that lift station. Um, because I actually get alerts for any, any of the um, um, eco-contaminations and stuff like that that happen in the area. So um, this has been one that, this, that has been a problem for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem that we have is that we don't have the money because we keep giving it away, hmm. um, we do not have the money to pay for a lot of these repairs that need to be made. And I mean, you know, over on the other coast, there's a four, four foot in diameter pipe that is about to burst. That's going to dump raw sewage into Key Biscayne. So um, hmm. there's, there's problems like that all over the state hmm. of Florida. But those problems are really prevalent in areas where there has been uncontrolled growth. 
And, you know, our mayor had touted for the longest time of, yay, we are the biggest and fastest growing city in the world, you know, in the U.S. And he was super, super proud of that. But what he was building on was the backs of everybody else. Hmm. And, you know, and he was allowing for everybody else to keep building and not paying for, you know, growth should pay for growth. Mm -hmm. And they weren't paying for the infrastructure to be in place. Um, that was coming back on us mm -hmm. as taxpayers. Mm -hmm. And um, so, of course, people want to, you know, of course, you're going to get a date when you're giving it away for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of what our city's been doing for a long time. Um, not maybe the most appropriate way to define it, but that is what our city <laughs> has been doing for a long time. And um, so their way of cleaning up that 200,000 gallons of um, sewage was um, they put some lime on it and they monitor it, monitor it until it um, came up saying that there's no more fecal contamination. Um, however, with that being said, there was signage again posted that just said, you know, hey, stay out of the water. You know, that was it. It didn't really have a whole lot of information and we need site specific information. Right. I promise you as a mom, if I see a sign that says, you know, please don't allow your kids to play in the water, you know, I, I grew up in Florida, barefoot running around in the woods, you know, so I'm like, let them play in the water. They're going to have a fine time. But if you tell me that there's fecal contamination in the right. water, I'm going to make sure my kid's not catching tadpoles. Right. You know? Right. And um, we need site specific signage. And um, yeah, but that. And they made some repairs to it, but they have not done everything that needs to be done. Um, there is, and especially the ones that are dumping mm -hmm. straight into the waterways, we're, we have a real problem um, with that between, between that and the ones that are going to our um, watersheds. You know, our, our city, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the watershed issues we have here, um, but they're allowing developers to, instead of be a conscientious developer and do your on-site mitigation, there we did we did an amazing project with our golf course and it built up these watershed credits and then what they do is they sell these watershed credits to developers like they sell them or they give them away to developers so that the developer does not have to do on-site water mitigation so mm -hmm. basically they can build to like zero lot line mm -hmm. and not give a hooey about you know letting water run off mm -hmm. um i believe we it was a combination of sold and um sold watershed credits and some were given to a development that is about a mile and a half down the road um from where the golf course is and um they went ahead and gave them that and i don't know about you but Purchasing watershed credits for a mile away huh. does not mitigate the water that's coming off of your property. Right, it's just wrong. Right, and you I know, say, is I, that I the one that, that we build up those credits? Is, is that the one that was also the development that was also caught polluting directly into the Clusahatchee? Nope, that, oh. it was, that was a different. <laughs> one. Oh, that was a different one. <laughs> oh, okay, um, that was a different one. Oh. <laughs> but I know which one you're referring to. No, that one was a different one. And, um, and I mean, I'm glad that, but it took the EPA to shut it down. Ugh. The city didn't do it on their own. Ugh. And to me, that's just a disgrace. It should be, I mean, I walk along and I see some of these things and I, I, I've taken pictures and sent them into the city and said, you know, is, is this okay? You know, because this looks like construction runoff. Mm -hmm. And they usually tell me, oh, there's booms in place. Mm -hmm. They're fine. Yeah, They're everything's fine. fine. And, um, but it took for EPA. Yeah, well, it took for EPA, and we're about to receive. They have not 
um, said we're not getting fines for it, but the EPA is more than likely going to be finding the city some pretty hefty fines for some of our pollution that we've been doing. Oh my gosh. Well, that's horrible. That's terrible. And and let me say also that I am so sick and tired of politicians and their related administration not being transparent with people and not only just not being transparent, but actively manipulating public information to as fine. And I think a good example of it is just like what you said with the, with the sewage leak and how it just said, Oh, don't let your, you know, don't enter the water. Right. Right. That's fine. Far as information goes, it should say, hey, this is this is what's happened. It's got this contamination. Please stay away, you know, for whatever and let them monitor how long that needs to stay there. But I am somebody as an evaluator, which is my kind of professional area in organization and community development. Um, I'm very much value truth and data and information and using that to inform our policies, our programs and our actions. But what that means is that sometimes we have to embrace information we don't like. And sometimes that means we have to do things that aren't going to make us popular. And that's where politicians fall on their face, is that look good, then do good. And that makes me very angry. And I will tell you, that is actually... I should use that. That was really sad, but <laughs> to look good versus do good. But that is what is compelling me. That is really, really, really what's compelling me. I, I mean, I will honestly say I'm somebody who's been very passionate about community development and, you know, working to make everything better. So this is part of the vein of my life. But what really set me to run for Congress to get involved is this complete and utter disdain for the image making. And for this veneer that everything is fine. And you, if you've, anybody's ever heard me do my spiel pitch where I talk about, you know, writing reports about what people want and then the leadership patting me on the head and telling me thanks and not doing anything about it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it is, you know, me presenting the mm-hmm. unvarnished truth to various leaders across our region and them just going, Ah, yeah. Mm. Well, it's not really what I want. So goodbye. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, you know, dismissed from jobs yeah. and projects or, or it's like, Oh, we don't really want to talk about that. Can we talk about this other issue instead? They want to, you know, they, they're bottom. And I'm so tired of it because what that does is it ultimately lets problems fester. It, you know, allows people to stay in power who frankly don't deserve it a lot of times, Um, you know, and it really hurts people. It hurts people every single time we have one of these environmental issues um, that comes out and is not taken care of and is not responsibly managed and then is just just a band-aid. Just don't go it's not, you know, if people really genuinely knew, you know, in like a, like a real, real way, like they didn't just have to read it in one article and they happened to 
But if people really knew that there was like the, you know, what did you say, 200,000 gallons of raw sewage running down, by the way, running down toward McGregor, right? To the nice exy part of town, right? Through a neighborhood. Um, yes. Yeah. That think people might be a little bit more upset about things like that. But it was kind of buried and quiet and everything is fine and no big deal. Certainly did not have the largest sewage lake in the city's history a couple months ago. Um, and I'm tired of that because I would actually rather know what's wrong and what's being done about it than being lied to about it. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's a health, it's a health and safety issue. And I'm like, you know, you are potentially, especially with COVID and we didn't know how, you know, how, especially at the very beginning, we did not know how this was being transmitted. Um, you know, we didn't know there was a lot of unknowns with it. And here is a potential huge health hazard for our city, um, for our citizens. And they glossed over it, you know, and that's, um, you know, one of the things that is really important to me is, you know, our city has set up some great ways to communicate with their constituents. Um, they have a whole text phone call and text method. They've got social media. They have ways of letting us know and, but they choose not to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and to me that, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> when I was last time when I was campaigning and I was knocking on a door in um, what's going to be the Midtown area, and I was explaining to the lady about the Midtown project and what was going to happen. She had lived in that house. It was a house her father had built. Um, she had lived there her entire life, this older lady. And she was like in tears and shaking that, you know, what? I'm going to get moved out of here. They're going to want to put this here. Well, how do I not know anything about it? Mm -hmm. And then I checked with the city and found out that um, one of their ways of notice notifying people was besides the sign that has a Z, a zoning sign that says, you know, there's a meeting on it. Um, which nobody really pays attention mm -hmm. to that. Um, they, they had put a notice, I believe they said, in the water bill. And, you know, in that neighborhood, you know, I know what it's like being, you know, not having, you know, enough to pay for things. I know what it's like where you're like, you open up the water bill and you're like, $72. All right, cool, I can pay that. And you go in and pay it. Mm -hmm. You don't read all the little notes that go along right. you know, in with it. There should have been a special notice right. that said, you know, hey, there's not that many homes in the area. Right. For this lady to find out about it only because right. I came and knocked on her door. Yeah. I mean, you know, thankfully the city is slow at everything and this little lady will probably live there, you know, live out the rest of her life there. But, um, you know, it, it was it was heartbreaking to see how upset she got about something she had no clue was coming. Yeah. And, um, you know, our city does a poor, poor job of notifying on important issues. The nice, the nice, pretty fluff. They love to tell everybody about. Mm. But when it's a really important issue, when it's an ugly truth, they don't want to. And just like you said, sometimes we have to embrace information that we don't like if we're going to make change. Yep. And just serve people right and just do them right. Like, and that's, you know, and I think about that Midtown redevelopment project, which I will say, listen, there's a lot of positive aspects to that. I was very excited about the sidewalks, kind of mm -hmm. harkening back to my early days as a bicycle and pedestrian safety advocate in our city. Um, and, and also, that's also a fairly neglected part of town. So knowing that they were going to be putting in curbing and sidewalks, and that was that was an update, I think, um, and will help people in the area. But yeah, the idea that there, um, it, it, and there's a lot of of the gentrification of what happens when there starts to be investment. Um, but 
protections for people who are already there, you know, it, it not only does it cause the problems, but it straight up causes mistrust. And in a time when we're talking about just misinformation causing mistrust, but if we're process wise leaving people out, that also causes mistrust. And no wonder people are disenfranchised. No wonder people are upset. They, a lot of times they've been purposely left out of decisions that specifically affect them. Um, and, and again, this kind of is why I'm a participatory governance person, because I think this matters. And I think mm -hmm. building public trust to work with government so government can serve people better is important. Um, and, and, but we have to be willing to do it. And, and part of it does go back to making sure that politicians aren't overly invested in their own image and their own political future. They're really invested in helping people. And that's why I think Kanye and I, the right people to lead our area, because we are invested in this value of people in our community and value, value of making sure that the government has that communication up and down the line with the people. Um, but let's pivot once again, Connie, talk to you a little bit more about, you know, so I hear from you some of the history of things that you've done in, in the city and your involvement. Um, and I really certainly appreciate you keeping everybody on their toes, but tell us just a little bit more about why, why, why are you running? You know, what inspired you to take it to the next level? So tell us a little bit more about that. Um, there's really, it's funny, there's really not all that much to say about it. I was just simply fed up. And uh, I know that doesn't sound like, you know, any, any great reason, but I was just simply fed up. I was going to the meetings, and like I said, I was watching um, us not being represented, and now I am at a very fortunate point in my life that my kids are now out of the house. I've always been involved with a lot of different charities and involved in a lot of different community service, and I have been able to wean down some of those. I mean, I'm still, I'm a trustee for the Calusa Nature Center, mm. but... Other, and I work, of course, for the Girl Scouts, but other than that, I've been able to wean myself away from all of the other charities, uh, events, and activities so that I'm able to put some focus on this because it needs a lot of focus. Um, but I, I think one of the pushing points was just finding that there were so many activities that were, you know, going on in the city and the people who lived here just didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a previous council member who um, retired from city council and he went to go and um, work at the Edison Ford Estates. Mm -hmm. And right after, shortly after that, I ended up learning about a road that was going to be pushed through the neighborhood. And, um, and it was something that had been in the works for years mm -hmm. uh, to connect the Edison Ford Estates with US 41 mm -hmm. and basically connect McGregor to 41. But ultimately, they were moving their driveway and it was going to connect Edison Ford Estates to 41, which is a great thing, except that it goes right through a neighborhood mm -hmm. and right next to a school. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that we have another road just a few blocks away that already does what this road is going to do. Mm -hmm. And I just... Uh, that was kind of a snapping point for me of saying, you know, well, are we just going to keep allowing things to happen to us or am I going to get involved and make some sense out of not just allowing things to happen to us, but making the city accountable and, and 
making them actually question, well, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we were able to, a bunch of us got together and we were able to stop. They were going to put roundabouts on McGregor. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, I affectionately named the seven armed monster of McGregor <laughs> because it had seven entry points. Um, it, it, it just did not make and it, seven entry points on non arterial roads. And I mean, it just, it, it did not make any sense at all. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I just, I, I just finally had had enough and decided that I needed to, I needed to do this. And I mean, I've just been compelled. I can't come home from a city council meeting sick to my stomach and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's what was happening for so long was mm -hmm. I was coming home and I was, you know, getting up and sometimes like just quietly walking out of a city council meeting going, they just don't care about us. They just mm -hmm. don't care about us. Mm -hmm. And I just can't continue to allow that to happen. Oh, good. Well, I love that women often that's, they are running because they're fed up about something. They're driven by something. Um, men usually run because they think that they're, they're fantastic, even if they're not. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, so actually, it's so funny because I was saying that you've done, I think the roundabouts is probably the only place where we, it's not only just because I actually really love roundabouts mm -hmm. because of their safety features. But I do agree with you that perhaps um, a seven R monster on McGregor was not going to be the best thing. And I a hundred percent agree with you that they should have involved the community. This is where community are really, really that, that, that entry very conveniently into the place where, where the former city council, uh, the organization, um, that's, that's my street. Like that's in front of my house. <laughs> um, I believe, and I can't remember if it was yeah. mine or the next block over, but it's definitely the entry point in there. Um, and yep. I was immediately worried about now my road becoming a thoroughfare to tourist attraction in our area. Um, and what does that mean for the bike? Right because there's big giant tour buses that come down. And right now the one road that they let the tour buses go on, by the way, is the worst road in all of Fort Myers. Um, it's, you know, just pothole it, but because it's yeah. got such a, you know, a lot of traffic from very heavy vehicles on it all the time. Um, and so I was immediately worried about, yeah, what does this mean for the traffic? I kind of liked the idea of that it was going to be improved. Um, and I liked the idea that they were going to redo mm -hmm. that stupid, for those yeah. of you that don't know what I'm talking about, um, it's kind of this weird old historic building that's on this kind of funny triangle shaped lot that's right at, right at the edge of Fort Myers uh, or 41 and Cortez, which runs down by the high school. Um, and it had been in disrepair for so many years, right? And I think the initial plan was to put like a welcome center or something there. The city was going to buy it. It was great, which is better than like this weird pizza shop slash, you know, I don't know, castle looking thing that it was. And it's, from what I understand, when that deal fell through, uh, because and also because the owner of the building wanted so much money that out of spite to the city, he had it painted hot pink. And so for those of you who haven't seen it, it is now a hot pink <clears throat> building in a place that was originally planned to be like the gateway to Fort Myers, um, which like for those of us with, you know, like 
you know, neighborhood continuity sentimentality, uh, we're quite horrified. But for people like my, my young daughter, down the street, <laughs> Connie, I don't know if you have any thoughts or insights on, on that one, though. Oh, no, I, I love the idea that they were going to open it up and make it into more of a information center, you know, something like that. Because, um, I mean, it used to be a garage many years ago. And, yeah, it was a pizza place and a laundromat. And it's been all kinds of things. And, um, you know, I am hopeful that they are going to do something with it. And uh, we'll, we, we shall see. I mean, I like to protect and preserve our historic buildings. Um, I, I am not sure how Hot Pink made it through the... Um, historic district uh <laughs> if it made it through the um, approval process or not but um yeah i i would like to see something like that restored <laughs> um but yeah i i I had not heard that it was done in spite. That's really kind of funny. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I had her. I can't even remember, you know, there's all these kind of stories on it. Because, again, I thought the same thing, too. I was like, how could they have approved that? Because it's a historic building. I mean, and I actually watched them paint it. They just sent one guy in a scaffolding up, like, one day to paint it. Um, and, I, yeah, like I said, I heard it was because that deal had fallen through because they wanted too much money. But, anyway, so it's it's a funny, weird little you know, story about Fort Myers here, but I think the lesson ultimately is involve people <laughs> in the planning process. And I will tell you an addendum to that is one of the things when the city kind of redevelopment area, and I think it was even in conjunction with the Midtown stuff, they had marked at least one, but I think several people's houses where they actually still live as part of the Edison estates, like future property. And um, I think right. that my neighbor whose house was one of them has put like a sign out in front of it. Um, essentially that they're not selling to the Edison estates because they're still living there. Um, I mean, just the audacity of it, right. frankly, was offensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that and, you know, just thinking that they were going to, you know, because some of those houses, um, you know, depending on the area that they're, they're doing it, they were like, well, they're just renters or they don't, you know, they're, they're not a major investment into the city. And I was just like, every single person is a major investment in the city. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, the, their concept was to, um, because that's actually supposed to be at 41 where it would be coming out at the, um, at Edison it would be four lane um, mm. to each direction. Mm. And so you're going to then funnel that kind of traffic mm. through a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just is easy access for crime. I mean, it's great that, you know, emergency vehicles could get there um, very quickly, but it, it funnels, you know, traffic into a quiet neighborhood. It changes the dynamics of a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm all about, you know, improving transportation and things like that. But the city needs to pay attention when they're looking at something that, um, you know, is a recommendation by like Department of Transportation. The Department of Transportation's job is to move traffic. Right. It is not to keep neighborhoods intact. And, you know, unfortunately, the city constantly will refer back and say, but this is the, you know, 40 year from now plan for DOT. And I'm like, but what about the people who live here? Mm -hmm. And we keep forgetting that the city is not just a bunch of buildings. It is the people who live here. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I am really, um, I've had friends that have left and they've come back after 15 years of being away and they're just 
you know, just in awe going, oh my gosh, what has happened to Fort Myers? And I'm like, yeah, it, it, it wasn't supposed to be this way. We had the Dewani plan in place. We had all these plans um, for not building up in certain areas and building um, outward in around the waterfront. And those plans all got thrown in the trash, basically, um, because our city got a little greedy. Mm. And uh, I think it's we need to start taking mm. care of the people that live here and our green space and, you know, not destroying what Fort Myers is. People that moved here moved here because it's such a fantastic area. And the people that have lived here their whole life, they've lived here because it's such a fantastic area. We shouldn't be so quick to change what has attracted so many people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Connie, it's been such a great conversation here. And I really love hearing about what's going on in the city, um, especially people like you who've been so passionate that shared the same value, like you said, of, of protecting the people and thinking about the people first above corporations, above developers, above political careers, above the almighty dollar. Uh, especially the dollar going into the pockets of people um, really thinking about what's going to be best for people and neighborhoods and communities. So I really value that. And just thank you so much for coming on the show and having this great conversation with me. Um, and before we leave, why don't you tell us a thank little bit? So oh yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how we can contact you. How can people who've been inspired by your commitment to the city of Fort Myers help and support you? Okay, well, I am pretty easy to find on all my material that's out there. It even has my personal cell phone number. So um, you can find me on my website, which is uh, www.connie4ward4, and that's the number four, ward number four, um, dot com. And on Facebook, it's also under Connie4ward4. It's Connie Bennett Martin um, for Fort Myers City Council. And um, I could really, one of the things that I would really love is I could use more neighborhood captains. If you live in the downtown corridor all the way to, um, pretty much all the way to uh, Winkler Road, the Edison Mall area, um, and Gardner Park, um, that, that's Ward 4. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would really love to get some more neighborhood captains. I would love to get more of my bright, fun, orange signs mm -hmm. out there. And... Um, um, you know, I just, I appreciate your uh, support, and uh, the biggest and best thing you can do is, is remember to vote on um, Election Day, because there's so many people that stay home and think it's not important, and as someone that was only 202 votes short, mm -hmm. um, it is important. So let your voice be heard, because it's really hard to complain if you don't at least get out there and do something. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Get out the vote. Make sure you're registered. Uh, and also, if you, you know, you want to vote for me, too, <laughs> are my elections coming up? I August 18th, you uh, should have already been registered to vote and registered as a Democrat to be able to vote for me in that election. And you can still though get your vote by mail by August 8th. So you can go ahead and register for that at the Lee County Supervisors of Elections Office. Or if you're voting for me out of Collier County at the Collier County Supervisors of Elections Office, that way you can stay healthy and safe and vote from home. 
And you can send that back. You can hand deliver that to early voting locations. You can hand deliver it to the supervisors of elections, or you can turn it in on election day and get a in-person ballot on that day. So don't be scared about voting um, or missing the window. If you have heard anything, there's like rumors swirling around around the, the postal service and things like that. There is always an opportunity for you to vote and your voice matters in this democratic process. We absolutely need you to take part in it. And Connie, you are um, going general directly to the general election because your race is a nonpartisan race. Is that right? Right. It's a nonpartisan race, but it's going to a primary because okay. there are four of us running. Okay. And so we have the primary and then we'll go to the general. Okay. So you still have to people have to vote for you on August 18th, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's an important yes, thing I, to remember. Uh, yes. And if I, <laughs> that's an important thing. Yes. And if she gets, um, so she, you still have to be registered to vote. Um, and you, you can get your vote by mail and vote for Connie Bennett Martin, uh, city council, Fort Myers ward four. She will be on your ballot if you are in her ward. Um, and this, by the way, because it's a nonpartisan race, if you are, not registered if you are registered for either party or no party you should still you will still be able to vote for her and i think that's really important because i think people think the primary is only for the parties and they may set it out but in these nonpartisan races um school board is also nonpartisan, um and the city councils are nonpartisan, and the mayors right are nonpartisan. that's right yes Yep. Um, I mean, there are folks who are in their respective camps, but the race itself is a nonpartisan race. But um, so that means everybody can vote in it. And so everybody should. So every single person in Fort Myers should be looking at getting out and voting because there are city council members. And I believe and help me with this one, too, Connie, if somebody in that primary gets 51 percent of the vote, they win it outright. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. I would need um, from the last race, I would have needed 1,030 uh, votes. So, <laughs> yep, you can win it outright. And and so but and what that means, guys, what that means is that if you sit out this August 18th vote and you're just going to November 3rd vote, you should absolutely vote on November 3rd. But if you sit out this August 18th one, you may miss your opportunity to vote in some of these local elections because it may be done. It may be done, and you would not even have had a choice possible to win outright if, if somebody wins 50% of the vote. So just keep that in mind. Your vote, vote matters. It often comes down to a couple hundred votes. I know actually a couple years ago the city corals mayoral race came down to 11 votes <laughs> difference, I believe. Um, so mm -hmm. votes matter um, in elections and you do not have to be registered with a party to vote and you should vote in the primary no matter what even if you're not affiliated with the party that being said with my little pitch on get out the to all of us um thank you so much connie once again for being with us here today thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it right thank you so much have a good evening bye-bye Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyer.com or connect with her directly at vote 
at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.